Hi, listener. This is just an FYI that Darcy and I talk about her infertility journey, her stillbirth, and her miscarriages. If any of these are sensitive topics for you, take care of yourself and come back to this interview another time. Okay, here is Darcy. Welcome to Laura Asks About Motherhood, where I, Laura Pruitt, ask my guests about their experiences of being a mom. Today's guest is a lady who works in the birth field as a doula and is in the personal service business. Her business is called A Deep Well, an alternative support service. She offers anything that someone would need a second set of hands with, specifically in the birth field. Her business grew from her own practices in motherhood and then sharing that with others. She has four kids, a 15-year-old son. She lost her second son in childbirth, who would have been 11 this year, her rainbow baby, her daughter, who is nine years old, and her youngest son, who is six. Please welcome this lovely lady, Darcy Newman. Welcome, Darcy. Thank you. Happy to be here. So, Darcy, did you always know you wanted kids? I think so. <laughs> I can remember playing with dolls and, and wanting to help mothers, you know, or, and to have that, to express that nurturing part of myself. Um, yes, so I think so. I think there's also some, you know, some conditioning too that comes along. So it's kind of like, oh my gosh, you know, which, where, what's really me and what I want versus some sort of projection onto you because you're able to have children. But I think overall, yes, I do love to care for children and, and have a nurturing, a strong nurturing quality. Beautiful. Yeah, I struggled with that for a long time. The what is this coming from my church community, my family, society at large versus what I am comfortable with? So it took me a really long time to come to the realization that I actually do want kids. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. How old were you when you became a mom? <clears throat> I was 28 when I became a mom for the first time. And how did your age affect your mothering or did it? I think that being a little bit older and just a little bit wiser is it gave me an opportunity to really analyze some of those programs that I felt like I was conditioned um, as far as motherhood I was I was at a place where I could I could be like critically thinking about some of the things that were coming up um, and I wasn't just you know young and naive you know I had gone to college. I had put myself through college and made this huge time investment. And, and then I was supposed to, you know, have this child. And, and then there were just these really challenging questions you have to answer. Like you have the child and then, 
what are you going to do with the child after you have them? Like they have to be cared for all the time and who's going to care for them and how much does that cost and what's the value of that? And how does that compare to the value of what I could make, you know, out in the workforce or, you know, the stress level of going to a job that has these, you know, these criteria like, you know, oh, you can only be late so many times or miss so many days or, you know, just all these things that I was able to just like really question and say, hey, is this, is this system going to work for us? Or do we have to kind of go outside of the box and come up with our own way of, of creating our family and taking care of ourselves? So I'm glad that I was a little bit older, although I've kind of ran into like a of infertility situation and I felt like, Oh my gosh, maybe it's because I waited, you know, I'm in my, Oh my gosh, I'm 35 and I'm going to have a baby and they're treating me like, you know, like the whole geriatric mother and stuff. So it's, it's such a strange, strange place. Motherhood. It really, really is. (laughs) I call it the mother dimension. It's just this place where nothing makes sense in contrast to the mainstream world. So you definitely have to have your antenna up and your heart open and listening to your, your own instincts, your own gut feeling, because it's, it's a tricky, tricky journey. Yeah, that leads really nicely into my next question, which you kind of just answered, but what was it like to shift to the role of mom? Um, it was, it was really surprising. <laughs> I didn't realize like that babies, they want to be held all the time. I didn't realize that if you set a baby down, that they're going to feel insecure in this world and that you know that was really the biggest surprise that the baby was only going to sleep for like five minutes after you let set them down (laughs) they're just not designed to be left alone the way that we see in tv and in movies and the commercials you know like um that was a huge huge surprise um oh gosh even just going to like the babies are us or whatever it was called back when I first started having children and just surprised at the amount of things that they expected you to buy and how it was just so not even set up for a mother to go shopping. I was like, they had every brand and it had its own section of the store. So I thought if I picked out a blanket, I was done. Right. Like I can mark that off the list, but down the way is like the extra is a whole different theme. And you could maybe have to start over planning. Um, so that was quite overwhelming. All the things that um, society tries to get you to buy for your kid and choosing the right thing. Um, I was also surprised with um, the breastfeeding demand. They, you know, that was another thing that's just took up a lot of time. I didn't realize that there was like an emotional component to it really. Um, Or thinking about 
the idea that the baby's really working a lot harder than it would be drinking from a bottle. And so it's like simultaneously burning calories. And, you know, again, it's like, oh, 45 minutes, but the book said it would be three hours, <laughs> you know. Um, in the heat, too, I was so surprised, you know, living in the desert. My first born was born in August. And just, still, you know, weird things like coming back from the grocery store and having to decide you know, what do you, what do you do first? Do you bring in your cold food into the house or do you bring the baby in from the car? Like, you know, what's, there's a lot, there's a lot of difficult choices <laughs> to be made. I didn't realize everything would seem um, like such a big decision. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That, that's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it is a lot to learn. It is a lot. Um, but it sounds like, uh, you had developed like the ability to question and, um, we're like analyzing everything and like, is this, <laughs> is this going to work for our family? Is this going to work for my life? Like, how can we make this better for us? Yes. There's so many things like even taking a shower, you're never going to take a shower like you have for for a long time probably you know the baby doesn't see your face and the baby starts to cry so i would i set up the little um it was like this you set the baby down a bouncer you know and you like strap them into this little bouncer and they're supposed to like sit there well that only works for <laughs> like five minutes so you can take a shower and I would set it right outside the window and I would peek my head outside the shower curtain so that the baby wouldn't um, freak out and start crying you know you just it's so funny how I guess I didn't realize how attached that we would be to each other really and and so even after we got through that phase, you know, cause nothing lasts forever, you know? So I there's still like, now I don't really hear it anymore, but phantom crying, you get in the shower and you can just, you have a phantom crying. You peek your head out, hop out. Is everything okay? You know, once your kids able to just entertain themselves for a minute. So it's just amazing. The, um, the impact that they have on you, you know, it's just, I, just, oh my gosh, you know, there's science that shows that the, you know, our blood mixes together, the baby's blood and the mom's blood mixes together. So even up to two years after you've given birth to the baby, there's like their stem cells are like in your brain. And there's like all these amazing connections. Like I just, I didn't realize the impact that it would have on my life and like really like switching your DNA off and on and all this really, really wild stuff. I thought, you know, just if you're loving and attentive, everything will be smooth and fine, but it's, it didn't turn out to be the case so much for me. There was a lot more molding that had to go on. Whoa, that is fascinating. I have never heard that before. Yeah. And, you know, it's comforting. I felt like when I lost my son, that was a really comforting thing to be like, oh, he's like seriously still like, he's really with me. Like parts of him are still like floating around in my body because he was built inside of here, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So it could be like really cool too. 
Yeah. What a sweet thought. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm so sorry for your loss. Yeah. Me too. But, you know, it's everything has its lessons, you know, and I don't know what it is yet. I mean, definitely opens up your imagination too, I guess, of like, well, what could, you know, what can I imagine that this was about? And, you know, what could I imagine how you're connecting with me now or, you know, so, yeah. Yeah. Are you talking about like, what would, what would it be like at this age? Like, cause he, he would have been 11 this year. Is that what you mean? No, no. Like he, I, I had a pretty like strong feeling that he wasn't going to stay. Oh. So like he, he didn't really connect with me. Like I kept trying to figure out like, what do you want your name to be? And, and just try to connect with your, you know, connect with him. I felt really connected to my first, you know, and so I was really not surprised when he just was, just didn't stay. I, yeah, I just wasn't. Wow. Yeah. That's so intuitive of you. Well, (laughs) yeah, maybe, or maybe I just tell myself that to, you know, make it easier. I don't, you know, Mm -hmm. but, but I do, I do remember, I remember someone telling me um, that in their culture, they did not, um, they never had like baby showers or anything like that because you never know what could happen. And this was while I was pregnant with my first. And for some reason, I decided to like file that away. And like, next time I'm going to, I'm going to try that next time. That's kind of a cool idea. And so I just felt like that was just kind of like a premonition almost, you know? Maybe. Yeah. Way to help prep you. Yeah. Yeah. I clung to it. I clung to it anyways. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you for sharing about your son. Oh, well, thank you for letting me. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, did becoming a mom change the way others saw you or treated you? I think so. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I was think it was I was one of the first of my friends to have a child. Oh. And as much as it like blew my mind what was required of me i think that that you know it affected you know my friendships too like i really wanted to show up for my kid and that means sometimes like not being able to be somewhere else you know and with people and and even like with breastfeeding it like makes it really hard like you can't like necessarily if you're exclusively breastfeeding and people that are usually exclusively breastfeeding find it to be really challenging to like pump and store milk. And you're really, it's not recommended to tell you to do that for a while. Anyway, I can't, I'm not even sure what they say a couple months or something like that. So that really kind of forces that, that dyad. There's like this dependency, you know, and our society just, you know, we, it, 
we just don't honor that. We just think, okay, she had a baby and now she can just hand it off to whoever and they'll just take care of it. It'll be fine. But I really wanted to explore like, yeah, the breastfeeding relationship and attached parenting. And so that just really meant like, you know, that's going to have to wait. Like friendships are going to have to wait. Um, when the kid's crying and all that stuff, I've got to deal with it. You know, there's not going to be anybody else that can soothe this baby like I can. And if someone has strong opinions about like breastfeeding or something, then that can make things kind of awkward. Like, oh, that makes you uncomfortable. Well, that's what I have to do to keep my child alive and me from getting an infection. So, wow, like, you know, I guess I'll call you when we're not breastfeeding anymore, <laughs> you know, so we can hang out and no one feels uncomfortable. Um, no one really like put me in that position. I think I just volunteered for it. I just kind of volunteered to hang out and be at home and take care of the kids and that kind of thing. So if I just imagine that it changed their view. I never really went around and asked. I didn't really care. I didn't want to know. I knew I was kind of like going out on this, going out of the box with things when parenting. And I was like, I don't want your opinion, really. It's hard <laughs> enough. It's really sure. hard enough. You judge yourself. You don't need anybody else, especially when they don't have kids to tell you what they think it's going to be like or how you can do it, how you can do it better when you're like, oh. You're the one that has to do it, so yeah, you know really what's best for you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Every family is different. Every mom, every baby is different. Yeah. Did uh, becoming a mom change the way you saw others or treated others? I... Yeah, I think so. I think it made me more, of course, sympathetic to my own parents. I could, like, not even when they're super small so much, but now that they're older and have, you know, words and a voice and their own ideas about things, <laughs> I can see how it's, it's not so black and white. It's not so easy to um to deal with your children or to to guide them sometimes they just don't hear you they don't want to listen to you but i think becoming a mom like in the early years just how like how is you know moms especially who make really challenging choices just appreciating their courage more yeah yeah i talked to someone recently who said something similar she was like before i had kids i was kind of judgy about what my in-laws were doing with um my sister-in-law my brother or whatever was doing with their kids but then once i became a parent i was like oh i get it <laughs> you're just yeah. trying to survive sometimes yeah, everyone's doing the best they can. Uh -huh. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And things like, you know, podcasts like this and talking about it can open up the conversation so that people can hear and go, oh, I didn't even know that was a, 
an option. You know, I didn't think I could think and question, you know, the system that says I have to go back to work at six weeks or 12 weeks or, you know, maybe there's this other way or, you know, whatever the example is. Like, yeah, if you hear people talking about it, then I think you're more likely to go to think, you know, oh, my gosh, wow. Okay, let's think about that. So mm-hmm. I, I think that's good. I like that you're doing this because we don't need to go around, you know, sh- wagging our finger at each other. But there's so there's so much there's so much um, that's trying to distract us from what's really what we really want. Like you'll say, "Oh, this is going to help you" or something, but it doesn't tell you the what the side effect is. You know what this is going to happen if you do this. Like, okay, yeah, you might pick this because it's going to be a fast fix, but really next week or down the road, you're going to have a bigger challenge ahead of you. So consider, consider um, long-term, your long-term goals really in this game, motherhood. Yeah. It's a lot to think about. And someone else, oh boy, I don't remember who else said this, but someone else is like, just stay in your lane. (laughs) Like, yeah, it's great to have conversations about this, but like you said, we don't need to be going around whacking our fingers at each other. Right. Yeah. Um, Because the minute, and the minute you do, because the minute you turn around, your kid's going to be behind you doing something bad, like something, you know, they're going to knock something over or poop poop (laughs) their pants or something. Like, you just got (laughs) to stay on it. Stay on your little monkeys, monsters. (laughs) Sure. Um, if if this next question is too personal, or if it's if you don't want to answer, feel free. You don't have to. But after your second son passed away, did that shift how others saw you or treated you? Like that's another layer. Oh yeah, how others treated me or saw me. Um. I don't, again, like, I don't know. I don't, I didn't ask. I don't, but like my perception of it. Yeah. Because I was like on this journey to do midwifery and then I felt like I, you know, like I was broken, you know? And, um, and I, and I still sometimes like think that like, oh gosh, do, do I have some, do I carry something around that's like not good enough to protect that space? What was the question again? (laughs) Just if if it affected, I guess my question is like how it affected your relationships with other people is kind of the heart Uh, of the question. Yeah. Well, hmm, I guess I I can remember thinking, well, I can remember just, gosh, it feels like it was just a few days, but it must have been like a week or so after things happened. And I was visiting with my midwife and she had arranged to have another, a mom who had just had her baby meet us. Because I just wanted to hold a newborn baby. And she asked her, you know, explain what happened to me and asked her if we could meet and I could just hold the baby for a while. 
And um, I can remember thinking, like, part of me was like, oh, my gosh, like, I can't believe that she would let me hold her baby right now. Like, because there's this little part of me that felt like I had killed my baby because I was giving birth to them, you know. And contractions are strong, you know. And so part of me was thinking that, like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe that they would let, you know, like, give me this most precious little gift and let me hold it when, you know, mine chose a different path. But that's, I guess that's just all, you know, that's kind of the weird, you know, scarlet letter that bereaved moms, I think, or I have dealt with is just that like yeah you just you carry this thing around like are you was there something that you could have done or you know something that you shouldn't have done that you know that was part of this scenario and do people think that do people look at you and go oh yeah she's this and that's why or you know what I mean Mm -hmm. so then again imagination can just be crazy in times like that but um that's you know none of that's really really ultimately true you know Mm -hmm. and i don't know what the truth is but um i don't know yeah it makes me think of um uh troy and i took uh childbirth education classes we took the bradley classes Uh uh-huh and they recommended that we read the book by Dr. Bradley, uh, the title of which is blanking on me right now, <laughs> whatever it's called. <laughs> but anyway, there's, yeah. there's a chapter in there where he addresses loss. And um, Dr. Bradley says that, you know, it's not anything that you could do or didn't do or could have prevented or, you know, like when miscarriages or loss in childbirth happens, sometimes it's just, that's the luck of the draw. And it's right. not, it's not your fault. It's not anything that right. you did or didn't do. It's just sometimes that happens. Right. And you know, it, the lesson that I really walked away from during that experience or from that experience is just how miraculous life is birth is creation is and how fleeting life is and how that since i'm still here like i could i really should take this opportunity to live my life as as much as i can you know like making those tough decisions with the children for the children for the family because it can just, you know, without any explanation, you know, with all the science, with all the machines, with all the things, like people can just go away. They can die. And there's, you know, no, no real, no answers. So it's just, for me, a super lesson in just how incredibly miraculous being alive is every day and like to try to be you know grateful and to make the world a better place yeah yeah thank you for sharing that with us like truly that's what an honor to hear 
because this is super personal stuff. And so I really, really appreciate you opening up and, and being honest about the journey you went through. And you were so strong. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> well, thank you. Well, I feel like a baby, but, you know, every time I, it's like, how do you not cry about this? You know, like, I don't know. It's been a while since I've told the story and I thought maybe I wouldn't cry, but I'm still, it still gets me. There's no need, <laughs> there's no need to not cry. It's okay. I know. Well, thank you again for sharing. Um, You're welcome. Thanks for letting me. Yes, of course. I don't know. I don't know a whole lot of resources for um, like infant loss and childbirth loss. Mm-hmm. One of my best friends passed away eight years ago as an adult, but you know, she was yeah. in her mid twenties and her parents have found a lot of comfort in the compassionate friends. It's a support group for parents and siblings of um, children that have passed away um, of any age and of any cause. Okay. Yeah. I think that sounds familiar. And we, there's also the miss foundation um, that is for, I think infant loss here. Okay. But interesting when I did experience my loss, I had moved back home to this kind of small town to go to nursing school. And during um, that he was, that happened, you know, he was born, died, but then there was like this eruption of, uh, it was early summer. So there was forest fires started popping up in that area. And so we were pretty close to this mountain that's, that had caught on fire. And so simultaneously, while this is happening, the town is being evacuated. So all the support systems that would be in place just kind of collapsed because everyone was evacuating the town. And that's where I was like, oh my, okay, well, you got to just depend on yourself, girl. Like, you, these support groups are like, I would, you know, go and oh, it was canceled or, you know, later on down the line. It was, so it was a huge, like, le- it sent me on this trajectory of like s- self healing and, and trying to, to be responsible for my own wellness. And so I mean, I'm I'm not I know I'm crying now, but <laughs> I don't sit around crying about this all the time um at all. So yeah, so that's kind of that's been a real interesting part of this experience is that I've got to go on this whole sovereign healing journey and and then just share with other people who either yeah, you're in a place where there aren't facilities, there aren't groups, maybe you don't have money to, to pay a therapist or, you know, go on these, you know, go somewhere or whatever. And so it's been a really incredible revelation of all of these natural, super simple, if you just show up for yourself, um, then you can you know, that's really step one. You have to show up for yourself if you want to things to improve in your life, whether it's, you know, how you feel about outcomes, you know, disappointments, you know, just lifestyle choices that have just gotten 
off balance, things like that. So, yeah, so there are groups and stuff like that. And there are just real basic things that we've kind of forgotten, like, you know, drink water and get some sunshine. And yeah, naps. Super simple things. Oh, naps. That's number one for this journey in motherhood. I think is I was like, I got to remember to tell Laura how important naps are in motherhood, <laughs> which I am learning now in my third trimester of pregnancy because man, these last couple of weeks have been super busy and I've been like run ragged and I just have not been getting enough sleep and I crave naps. <laughs> Yeah, I crave naps, but luckily, as of this recording, this is the last week that I'll be seeing people, my clients in person, and then I'll be switching to seeing only people online, and that will allow me to rest a lot more. Good. Yeah. Yeah, but it sounds like all the things that you were learning in your trajectory into self-healing and, and doing all that work and stuff, reminding yourself of those basic things. Even though sometimes it's hard, like sometimes finding a time to get a nap can be tricky or whatever it is. But it sounds like that led to you starting a deep well. Yes, it did. Yeah. Yeah. Those kind of the well sprung itself out of those practices. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's really beautiful. Yeah, it has been incredible. Well, were any of your kids planned? And yes or no, did that affect your mothering in any way? You mentioned you had um, some infertility after your first son. Yes. Yes. So, yeah, he was planned and easy to conceive and easy to birth. And um, and then maybe, I can't remember when, how old he was, but I was like, okay, you know, like, he needs a sibling, right? You know, like, I mean, I feel like it really is hard to just have one. It really, really has. Um, but then I also, I call this um, second baby syndrome where we feel like we can expand to, to another human. There's just not enough of us to go, barely goes around for, the new one and sometimes the partner is kind of on the back burner too at the early times. And then to think that you're going to go and expand yourself, your capacity for love and to show up and say yes. And even if it's just simple things like, do you have enough room in your house? Is there room for another human being? Could you know, can you feed another mouth and just all these things. And I, and that kind of got in my head and, um, I think, yeah, I, I feel like that might have, you know, played into it. I'm, with all of these things, it's, you never know if it's like the chicken or the egg, you know? You just know that these, like, that's a factor and then that, this is a factor. And then, but you don't know, like I said, chicken or egg. I don't know. But so, I, yeah, I had a couple of miscarriages and then I had my stillborn. And then I was like, come on, you know, I really, really want to have this. I want more. I really want to try this again. If you are able to experience natural childbirth, it is such an incredible sensation. It feels, there's, I haven't ever felt anything so incredible. It's to have that pressure building in your body for nine full months 
And then to have it just release, and then you have all this hormones flooding. It is like the most, it's the best gift after all of that, that you go through. And I wanted that again, you know, and, and on my own terms, there were subtle things that I, that I didn't like that I looked back on and I thought, oh gosh, you know, I want, you know, I, I want to be the first person to have my baby and I want to keep my hold of my baby. I don't want someone to take the baby away and clean up the baby and hand me the baby all wrapped up. And then you just meet like the swollen face and you're like, what the heck? This is, who is this? You know? And it, I really, the first time I, it took me several weeks to be like, just look at him and be like, I love you to have that feeling. Cause I just, the way that we met each other was not, that's not the design. So there was definitely, I was aware that there had been some sort of like hormonal interruption or something like that. And so I was like, shoot, if I'm going to go through growing the baby and laboring and birthing the baby, I sure want the cherry on top at the end. And I don't want anybody to like take them away or do anything. And then so super whammy when I had Lucas and like, again, like immediately he was, you know, taken away from me and I didn't get to just have that like, oh, I just want to relish in this like postpartum, you know, hormonal bath of love and bliss. And so um, I, I did have another miscarriage after him and I was like, okay, I'm going to try one more time. And if I don't have a baby after this, this one, which turned out to me, my daughter, I was like, I'll surrender. I'll, I got the message. It's loud and clear. This is where I stopped. This is how the story goes for us. And, um, and then I, you know, planned her, you know, you're watching the calendar and knowing when you're can, can conceive and all that. And she was totally different. Like, I swear that I could feel her conception. Like I felt like what I was like, it was like a, like a battery getting plugged into my body. Like I felt these little jolts of electricity and I had these like psychic messages come through. Like it, you're, she's, it's a girl. She's going to have a daughter. She's going to stay. Don't worry about it. And, um, and she did. And, and then I was able to have her at, at home and, um, yeah. And so that was, that was a good, that was a good one. <laughs> and then, but that, but then, you know, there's always this thing I felt like, I mean, me, you know, it's, I like had developed a hemorrhoid when I, she was nine pounds, 14 ounces. Wow. So I think, you know, I talked to her and sung, saying to her the whole time I was in labor and, then when it was like time to push, I was just like, this is where I got in trouble last time. So this time I'm just going to like shoot you out. As fast as I can. <laughs> so there's no, like, you're not going to like have any time to reconsider. <laughs> and so I think, yeah. So somehow I yeah, developed a hemorrhoid and I had given birth to her on the shower floor, you know, it's tile. 
And, um, and this, you know, when you have people there, everybody wants to help. Otherwise they feel like they're just wasting your money or your space or something. So I, they, they were like, Oh, why don't you come, come to bed? It'll be more comfortable in the bed. But then as soon as I sat down on the bed, sat on that hemorrhoid, I was like, Oh, okay. That's the post that uh, golden hour is over. <laughs> that hurts. You know, and then with my fourth one, I did, I wanted to have another one. I got to that point again, where that the little one isn't a baby anymore. And they are just, you just have that crazy idea that if they had a little brother or a little sister, that life would be easier for you. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, we were able to like easily conceive my last son, Andrew and, um, yeah. Beautiful. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So sweet. That is really kind of magical. Um, when you conceived your daughter and you like yeah. could feel the conception happening, you could hear those messages. Like she's going to stick around, especially after yeah. you had, if I'm counting right, you had three miscarriages total. You had a couple of miscarriages. One, two, three. It might have been four. Wow. Oh yeah. my gosh. Yeah. That yeah. it sounds like you needed those reassuring messages. Yeah, I think so for sure. Yeah, four miscarriages and you're stillborn. Yeah, that just has I would imagine those were very reassuring. She's gonna mm-hmm. stick around. She's gonna be a girl. That's really cool. Yeah, yeah. That was really neat. Yeah. She's she's been um quite the teacher when it comes to that kind of thing beautiful and then with your fourth so easy to conceive that's so fascinating yeah right well you know what's interesting is like the western world doesn't really have much um knowledge when it comes to like women's health in general like i had gone through all those the th- you know three miscarriages and a stillborn and I still wasn't considered like had to have like an infertility problem. Like they don't really, it's like five, I think before they would like really consider you oh. um, having, you know, these infertility problems or they just, you know, they were like, well, we could look at a blood clotting. Like, Oh, that was, it was like a factor five blood clotting condition or something, but they don't even really, do that until you've had like five miscarriages. So that, and then I just was like, well, I'm going to just go over to like Chinese medicine because they have a lot more um, options when it comes to women's health. And there was at one point when I had, cause I had had the miscarriage before and, you know, the doctors just go, okay, well, you know, we can give you pain, pain medicine and, or, also give you like a dnc to expedite the things Mm -hmm. and i was like well those both don't sound good to me you know like but i did take i took the pain medicine and tried that but then that just made me throw up all over the place and i was like Mm -hmm. well great now i'm even like got more coming out of me that i have to you know take care of and clean up so the next time it happened i found a traditional chinese medicine doctor And as soon as um, I started spotting in that pregnancy, they had like a protocol and some tea and stuff that 
could help either just gently expedite things or even like they have a way to, they call the pregnancy pulse and they can tell how viable your pregnancy is by the circulation that's going on through, you know, your uterine system, through your respiratory or reproductive system. So she, she checked that pregnancy pulse and she said it was really very low. So then she could opt to just, instead of the protocol that would really increase circulation and maybe help uh, a threatened miscarriage, she could just gently help um, with some teas to expedite it coming out so that it wouldn't be such a process. You know, there's a lot of blood loss sometimes and then you know, you're anemic for a while if you don't want to do like a blood transfusion or something like that. And then you have to like build up your blood and, and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, sorry. I lost my train of thought again, I think. Holy cannoli. Like your body has really gone through a lot, Darcy. I know. Right. But that, yeah, I'm so glad you were able to find, um, providers that could help you and could you felt good about helping you in that respect yeah there's yes. a, yeah i've heard a lot about chi- traditional chinese medicine but i don't i don't know a lot about it so that's really interesting to hear then it sounds like it was much more gentle for you sorry to interrupt yeah no no not at all i, I had gotten myself in down some weird thought track anyways but yeah they have a, a lot of much more knowledge about women's health and just how important circulation is for that region of our body. You know, it's when we do sit, you know, we're a very sedentary culture. We just sit around a lot. Although that wasn't the case for me. I was like on my feet all day, you know, at work running around. So that wasn't what it was, but, but yeah, whatever it was, you know, it passed. And then I was able to have, you know, my daughter and my son conceive them. And even at, you know, in the advanced maternal age range, and there was, you know, there weren't any significant complications. That's good. Oh, yeah. I mentioned the geriatric term, geriatric (laughs) mother earlier. So rude. I know. It's so weird. They give us so little time to explore Uh this motherhood. There's so much pressure, you know, you got it. You know, they want you to be educated, but not too educated so Uh that you're old when it happens. Uh Oh, it's it's challenging. Yeah. How has your mothering changed after each kid or did it? Oh my gosh. Yeah. The first one, you know, you're like just trying, I was trying to be, just perfect, you know, and just so much pressure and you want to just do everything, all the things that you want to do. And then with my daughter, I, I think of just because of my personal circumstances, like super protective of her, Oh, and both of them. Like, I didn't want anything else to happen. I was like, I would, you know, like, oh, gosh, I've already, you know, I remember one time when they would try to spread their wings and go ride their bikes or something around the street. Uh, she's, she's super independent. 
and just feeling like, I, I can't lose another child, you know? And then now as my younger, my baby is growing up, I'm learning that, well, and also just this whole journey of, of healing has just taught me how I need to trust them, you know, that they come here equipped to live their lives also, you know, and they have, so I don't need to worry too much. I, I, could, I can have a lot more trust. I mean, I'm not going to be negligent. If I see something, I need to, to say, hey, I think that's going to end up like this, you know, hey, let's be responsible, but I'm not so high strung as I, there was a period when, where I was definitely like super like neurotic, like, oh my gosh, nothing else can happen. Like I can't handle any other tragedy, but, but that my, I realized my nervous system wasn't going to hold up if I kept that vibration. I needed to just like let go and, and trust more, trust them and their maker and all that. So I've gotten more trusting of them with each child. <laughs> wow. Yeah. It sounds like quite the journey, especially after you're stillborn. Yeah. I, the totally normal reaction. I feel like that. I don't know many people who wouldn't react like that, you know? Yeah. But I didn't want to like bestow any like neurotic thoughts onto them. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like, I already have, you know, like, no, I'm here. I'm trying to heal this stuff. And if I keep projecting it onto the next, that's not going to work. Mm-hmm. So I really have to walk my talk. Mm-hmm. So they're really good at, at reflecting that. That's good. Um, how does having your husband around affect the way your mother? Oh, it's a good, it's a good exercise in choosing what's important again, you know, like, and, and exploring and like learning about ourselves and exploring ourselves, you know, at some point, and especially if we're in like such strange circumstances this last two years where like a lot of people are working at home and you're just around each other all the time. And you're kind of like stepping on each other's toes here and there. <clears throat> so it's a good opportunity again, to like walk the talk and put into practice um, all the things like, you know, questioning, is it gonna, is anybody going to get hurt if this happens? Yes or no. If not, maybe I don't need to exude my energy on it. You know, I'll step in if someone's going to get, you know, hurt or whatever. I think, you know, it's, it is different because, you know, we both lost a child, but like it happened inside of my body. So there's like this weird cellular memory that I've had to work on, like shifting. Um, but at this end, the same time, it's like understanding that each of us has these experiences. And even though we don't respond the same way, that it's true for all the people, you know, that were that are involved in something, you know, like he has, you know, he's 
his story with his children, I, you know, that's their, their relationship. Like I can't always like intervene and like, there was a period of time where I would try to, um, you know, like always try to like smooth things over or um, keep the peace or, you know, like help each other understand each other. But at some point I just kind of was like, you know what, what's that in like, uh, they say it like arguments, you know, if you create like a triangle, then that's like, it's even like more complicated, you know? So it's better just if the two, if the husband, the father and the child are working their stuff out, then I just let them work that out. That's their, you know, relationship. And because of, you know, how we approached it when they were little, like breastfeeding, you know, they didn't really want, they didn't really want anything to do with their dad for until they're like a year old, because, you know, what's dad got nothing that, you know, mom's got milk and that's everything, you know? So maybe, um, you know, you could just, Hey, you know, can you change their diaper or whatever? But after like 15 minutes, you know, you take them out in the backyard and look at some flowers or something. And then they, they're thirsty because it's hot outside. So they're like, get me back to that lady with the milk, you know? So it takes, it's, it takes a little bit more time when you have like that attached parenting framework, but now that they're older, you know, they're, 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 they're fine. They're good. They, you know, they hang out, they do their thing and, yeah. And he even, you know, there was, he did, I did teach him how to wear the, our daughter because I did go and work a little bit when she was younger. And so I taught him how to do like baby wearing and that helped a lot. Like he could get her to go to sleep, you know, wear her to sleep. So that's, that's progressive of him. That's an adorable image also. So cute. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. You don't see stuff like that every day here in this part of the world. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, How does your religion or spirituality affect your mothering? Oh my gosh. I think that it's a huge, huge activator for that. Um, I, the first part of my life grew up in the Catholic church and, you know, Mary is a big part of that. And, and even now, like I look now I'm kind of back to that where I'm like, Oh gosh, you know, like what a graceful image. Like she's, you know, to be this, this mother that's just, full of unconditional love and, but also super brave and can show up when men don't show up and in circumstances that are just like so incredible. Um, And then, you know, there's that part of, you know, just Jesus being born in a major, just, married you know the story is you know there's just this mary and joseph and the animals and she just free births you know um savior of the world you know and so you're like oh that that's amazing i can be a fraction of that you know like at least i have plumbing 
you know? <laughs> and when we, when we got to where we are now in the home that we are in now, which was an incredible blessing. And I felt like just a miracle to find and to get into. I also felt like super overwhelmed, like, Oh my gosh, here I am now. Like I've got three kids, which is, you know, if you have two kids, you have two hands, you can grab onto the two kids, you can handle them. But once you introduce a third one in there, you're like, it's like juggling. You have to let one go to grab onto the other one. And that's a strange adjustment. And then to move into the house that we're in now as like my primary responsibility is homemaker. I was like, oh my gosh, who, who built a house that has three bathrooms? Like, why would anyone ever design a house that has three bathrooms? You know how much cleaning that is? Oh, that's so much work, you know? And the children were just at, and there's, it's a two story. So I had to, I felt like it took me a year to get used to going up the stairs and down the stairs. And I'm always forgetting something, you know, I still am not at the point where we have, three things, you know, so they're all the, every bathroom is stocked. No, you know, somebody picks some, the hairbrush up and they want to brush their hair while they're watching a cartoon. So then you're upstairs looking for a hairbrush and it's nowhere to be found. So you walk downstairs and all around to find the sink. And I was tired back to the naps. You got a nap. I was really tired and I was getting really grouchy and grumpy. And Someone had, someone had mentioned um, this, con- this what, what do you call it? It's, I mean, it's an ancient Hawaiian practice of forgiveness. It's like a prayer that you, you say over and over. And it's called Ho'oponopono. And someone had shared that with me as a way to like clean away memories. And so I started looking for that or it started looking for me and I found this book um, called Zero Limits about this doctor who ran Hawaii State Psychiatric Hospital and used this practice. And he was able, he he documents that this facility just completely transforms. And I thought, well, if this guy can kind of like transform a psychiatric hospital and people are chained to their beds at the beginning and by you know a year or two into this practice people are you know compliant with the rules they're able to have visitation from their family all staff and residents are taking responsibility for whatever they are made aware of i thought well okay i got i can do that you know instead of walking around and being angry that i have to bend over again because the kids took their paper or whatever and shred it into a hundred pieces. I can practice this practice and, and see what happens. And so I would do it and you, you, you say like these four words of transmutation, which is, I love you. I'm sorry. Forgive me. And thank you. And these are words that, and this guy's a psychiatrist, 
somehow there's certain words that can like penetrate all of your brain, like all of your higher conscious stuff. And these are words that do that. And um, there's a lot of material like on YouTube about like the more sciencey side of this and how the brain works and everything. But I started practicing that and just feeling more at peace about what I needed to do as a mom. Like I wasn't so grumpy or tired about it. And I could just show up for my kids and do that. And I would also just get like, um, you know, just clear direction. Like, Hey, you go and do this, you know, and then that would be prepared for the next, you know, that was already being prepared for me for whatever I needed next. It just really has smooth things over for me. Like things are just, they flow much better. It's not always super stressful. Stuff isn't always lost. I'm not always late. Stuff isn't always broken, which is, you know, that could, that's kind of like an older mindset you know, that I could, I guess, slip back into. I wouldn't now. I know the power of this practice. And so I just won't, you know, won't do it. Wow. That is, it sounds like it affects like your whole life. Yeah, it is. It's everything. It's everything. You know, your kid goes to school and you're disappointed that there's, you know, it's so, it's, there's trash everywhere in the parking lot. Well, Ho'oponopono says, you're responsible. You see it, you're responsible. You can make the change. You can bend over and pick this trash up and throw it away yourself. And yeah, that's really how it started was just like picking up little snack bags in the, at the school when I would pick up my daughter just on the school grounds. Yeah, it's, it really, I don't think I would be here if it wasn't for that. Wow. Wow, it sounds super powerful. Yeah. It is for real. Give it a try. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And what was the book again that you mentioned? Uh, Zero Limits. All right. Yeah, I'll have to look into that. How does your culture affect your mothering? Oh my gosh. Um, that was one I was like, I don't feel like I have a culture. Um, I feel like, yeah, there's, you know, except for the anymore, I guess maybe I'd like just abandon it or something, but it was really like pop culture. It was like my culture, you know, and it was just that, yeah, the baby would like what you see in a movie or commercial, you know, you feed your baby for 15, 20 minutes, you put it down and you can come back and six hours or something and it'll be there or if you buy this then your life will be better you'll be a better parent if you have this gizmo um but i i yeah i really saw through all that really quickly and so just yeah i really think pop culture was my culture and i just kind of abandoned it along the way sure yeah yeah, that goes back to what you were saying earlier about 
uh, like questioning what, what actually works and what doesn't work and adjusting to meet the needs of your family. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what kind of relationship do you have with your mom? Oh, it's, I mean, it's, I feel like it's probably pretty typical, you know, for the modern time family dynamic. We're not in the same city, but she, she was, she was, with, you know, she was present at a couple of my births or came, you know, immediately postpartum to help with the kids and, or help me and, and we're doing things totally different. So it's not like I can ask her like how to breastfeed. Like she does not from a generation that was like breastfeeding and she doesn't really, she doesn't understand um, or even attached parenting. Like she doesn't really, she didn't really get it. Um, so when they're little, it's a little more stressful and you know, having blended families, I think kind of dilutes things out too. Cause you're just like, well, this other people that are here sharing our experience, maybe you don't know them that well, you know, like you have step parents and stepsisters and all these people that you, you don't really have an intimate relationship with, you know, it's just like you're technically related to the people. And that's kind of interesting. Um, too in my situation um but we just came back from seeing her and celebrating her and her birthday and stuff so there's a lot of love there for sure nice you kind of answered this um but did your relationship with your mom change after you became a mom yeah yeah for sure because you know well i guess i thought I thought that, she, you know, I thought that she would know and have all the answers and could fix everything, <laughs> you know, and then sometimes when you have your own kids, it's just, it's different and it's not even like the same circumstances and, or maybe there's their remedy to your problem. You're just like, I could never execute what you're asking me to do, you know, um, but I did, but I did appreciate what she did, you know, like her job and her role as a mother, for sure more. And just in a deeper, deeper way. And just great. Yeah, just, just an overall appreciation for, you know, the longevity that mothers like, she's still a mother, she has adult children now, and she has to deal with you know that and grandchildren like it just it doesn't end and you can see that like that there's just this incredible grace that has to seep out of mothers like they just it's an, they're incredible creatures um how does your relationship with your mom affect the way you mother again you kind of answered this already but do you have any other thoughts um, yeah, I mean, I just, my parents were young parents, teenage parents, 
and a whole different time, you know? And I don't, by the time I got to be a parent, I was, I just really was like, I felt like my children, even as little babies, were much more capable of understanding than I feel like the previous generation did. You know, like there wasn't, I didn't feel like comfortable punishing my children necessarily or um, timing, you know, putting my child in a timeout. Like I was like, hey, if my kid's misbehaving, maybe I need to hug them more or make sure they're fed or, you know, do these like more positive discipline versus just like, you know, some like the old, old school kind of hard, hard parenting, like tough love, like that's kind of how my generation that I heard that a lot. And I was like, you know, I don't think that's, that doesn't seem to be working. <laughs> and so I'm, when it's my turn, I'm going to try something opposite. I'm going to go opposite of that. So, but you know, now my kids, like I said earlier, my kids, they have words now and they can go out and go to their friend's house across the street. And I'm like, Hmm, maybe there was something to this. <laughs> But, you know, like maybe they're walking all over me now, you know, <laughs> but it's just always learning and always an opportunity to try again. That's thankfully the day of dawns again and we can try it again. That is a good point. Yeah. If something's not working one day, we have tomorrow. <laughs> yes. And they change, like they're changing so quickly. I felt like each time that I would figure out how to deal with it, whatever their little growth spurt happened to have them expressing, then it would change. You know, as soon as I was, I figured it out, then they would just change and it didn't seem even important anymore. But and that, and but that's where also I was like, oh my gosh, I just need to be really present. And then I can just nip these things in the bud right when they're happening or, you know, address them in the moment or get that divine guidance that will have us set up for, you know, just the most perfect situation tomorrow or whatever it is, you know, so many, so many amazing blessings in motherhood if you're open to it. Yeah. Yeah. Lots. Uh, oh boy. <laughs> that sounds, okay. That'll be a big lesson for me. I think just like allowing things to be and to change and not get so caught up in like, I just figured this out and now it's different. Right. <laughs> frustrated with that and, and being more present. Yeah. That will be a big, big lesson for me. <laughs> right. Well, you know, I'm sure you've heard the term like birthing a mother, mm -hmm. you know, like, Think about yourself, you know, or any listener or, you know, and I remind myself that like, I've never been the mother of these people before, you know, today, like, because they're like the sum of all their experiences, right? And those change every day. So, mm -hmm. yep. Right. Get ready to grow in mm -hmm. a whole new way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Like you're 15 year old. If that's the first time you've ever parented a 15-year-old, you know? Yeah, right, yeah. yeah. 
Like I've got to teach you how to drive a car and wow, never, you know, been that responsible before. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, What is something that has surprised you about motherhood? What has surprised me about motherhood? How exhausting it is. Naps. Seriously, you know, people say that and you think they're kidding, like sleep when the baby sleeps, but it's so, such good advice. It really is. And there really isn't anything on TV or the phone that won't be there after you take a nap, you know, but it is hard because you do want some autonomy. It really does start to mess with you that you're, you've carried this thing for almost a year and then you've got to keep carrying it for like more months and feeding it all the time. Yeah. Okay. I will keep that in mind (laughs) again to like reduce my frustration. Just need to have low expectations for the first couple months. of myself. Yeah. Naps. I mean, Uh you don't realize you're going to get to the store, you'll get ready for the store and then the baby, you'll set the baby in that car seat. I don't know the design of that. Somebody needs to redesign those. The way that the baby sits in the car seat, it just makes them poop. Oh my goodness. I swear. Ask all of your newborn friends, mothers of newborns, how soon after you get them in the car seat do they poop and because of the way that they're set in there it just shoots all the way down their legs no and then right and then they cry so then they're thirsty or hungry so then you have to feed them again it'll take you all day to go to the store and then when they get to they know they're somewhere weird and different and so then they want to nurse just to feel safe Oh gosh, you know what I mean? You pick up one item and then the baby's crying and you got to stop and feed them. It's, it takes a long time to do anything when you're got a new one. But that's, but it's a good lesson in just, you know, taking our time and slowing down and doing what's really important, you know? Mm-hmm. I guess nowadays they have a lot of the delivery services. So maybe that's not so much an issue for the, more modern moms but that's a good point yeah having groceries delivered yeah yeah what is fun to get out of the house sometimes you know sure yeah and i've heard people say that like everything takes longer with kids but i've never like understood exactly why so that's really good to hear like (laughs) a breakdown of play by play (laughs) yeah there's super technical things that will just need to be redone over and over Uh uh-huh Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That will help me (laughs) with my expectations again. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. Yes. I'm glad. What is something that has been hard about motherhood? Oh, the demand, you know, they really, really do want to be held all the time. And we live in a a world that doesn't really, isn't designed for that, you know, just trying to go to the bathroom at the store when you finally make it to the store, you know, like, and your kids, you don't have to carry them anymore. 
but they climb underneath the stall and bolt out when you're going to the bathroom. Like, that's hard. <laughs> what are you going to do? You know, like, who do you talk to? Who do you mandate little? There's some stores that have a little seat there that you can set your child in and like strap them in. I think it's the Bashes stores, which we don't have a lot of here, but I did happen to discover one of those. It's just, it's the technical stuff like that, that the world doesn't uh, design things for us. You know, they say that they care, but then when it's like basic stuff like that, they're not in there and they don't, they don't deal with it. They don't listen to us. (laughs) That's hard. And not enough places to take naps, Laura. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm sensing a theme. Uh-huh. We need we need to embrace the siesta. I know. Oh my goodness, that would be amazing. Yeah, we need to have those hours, especially here in the desert. Like if we had like a big block where everybody closed down from like you know eleven thirty to three thirty, and everyone just has a nice lunch and rest. It seems like they would get more uh, people out and about. You know, late at night if you had a nice siesta in the day. Yeah. Yeah, because it's a really hot time of day anyway. Yeah. 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 That that image of like a toddler or a small child darting away from you while you're using the toilet in a public facility or like a a store or something, that is seems so horrifying. (laughs) Oh, I know, right? It is like and like and I've never really lost one underneath. But I just, the moment that they like put their hands down on the floor and look underneath there, you're just like, oh, gross. <laughs> you're so gross. Why do you touch that stuff? Don't you dare. I tell them, don't you dare run out from under here. Everyone is going to see my butt if I have to get up and chase you. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, because like, what else are you gonna do? Oh my my gosh! But you know what I have found? I've found that people in general are super uh, helpful and you know kind and supportive of moms. Like you know, they would they would stop the kid. (laughs) Oh thank goodness! Oh, I think they would be like, hey, wait a second. (laughs) Uh huh. Oh my gosh. What about motherhood brings you joy? Oh my goodness. They, I mean, they do. They're so funny. You know, they can be so funny and cute and creative. You know, they're just so pure. It's just, it's great to be a witness to that. That's really fun. And this actually, you know, being a mom really brought me back to um, dancing and moving my body like that um, to just make good endorphins and to feel better, you know, in that way. Dancing with your kids to kind of like help them go to sleep is really, that's nice. You know, it's such a, a nice way to to go to sleep, you know, like we're dancing a little bit, they're falling asleep. That's been really cool to to bring that back into my life. I just took dance lessons as a little girl, like my whole life. And then I thought, you know, there's all that programming, like 
these little these activities kind of have to kind of go to the back burner because you need to go to college and you have to pay rent and you have to do all these responsibilities to come back to a fun way to and to help my kids kind of regulate their nervous system and I, I like a happy factory dancing is like a happy factory it makes your body a happy factory you know you make endorphins you feel better so that's one one thing that is super accessible that I'm really grateful for that, that sounds so joyful yeah yes it is hopefully you'll put that in your tool belt as well yeah I don't dance very often um but it, it, whenever I do it feels great yeah, it's a good reminder. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. What advice would you give someone like me who's getting ready for motherhood? And you've sprinkled a lot. Naps. Naps. Definitely. <laughs> Number one, nap when you can, seriously. Um, yeah, seriously, just naps and following your own instincts. Being brave enough to be uncomfortable in your new space of motherhood and trying new things and with this new person and as this new role. And yeah, just taking care of yourself. Like, don't put anyone else ahead of you. Like, when you're tired, when you're thirsty, when you need to go to the bathroom, when you, you know, just whatever it is, you know, know that it's super, it's a super valuable thing, even if it seems irrational at the time, like you, you, you being able to show up for your baby is really important. Yes. Yeah. That is good advice. Yeah. Remembering that those things are helping you to show up for the baby. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Well, Darcy, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's been so much fun. And yeah. <laughs> got to take you guys on a wild ride. <laughs> yeah. Is there anything else you want to add? No, I think I really just left it all out here on the podcast already. <laughs> Which I appreciate. Thank you for being so open. Oh. Thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity to share. Darcy, thank you so much for chatting with me. I really appreciate you sharing about Lucas and his birth and death. Uh, didn't seem easy to talk about, but I'm so grateful you were willing to talk about him and your experience because hard things are important to talk about. Miscarriages and stillbirth are tragic. And if they're not talked about, it seems like it would be so isolating and lonely, just making the experience that much harder. For the listener, I mentioned the Compassionate Friends as a resource for grief and loss, and Darcy mentioned the Miss Foundation. You can find the websites for both nonprofits in the show notes. Oh, and I couldn't remember the name of the book by Dr. Bradley while I was talking with Darcy. I found the book after the interview. It's called Husband Coached Childbirth, again by Dr. Bradley, if you're interested. Thank you, Darcy, for sharing about the Zero Limits book you found so helpful. Listener, if you are interested in learning more, the full title and the author's names are in the show notes. The full title is Zero Limits, The Secret Hawaiian System for Wealth, 
Health, Peace, and More by Joe Vitali and Ihaleakala Hulen, PhD. I really hope I pronounced that correctly. If you would like to come on the podcast to share your experiences of being a mom, send me a message. Or if you know someone who would be interested in being on the podcast, send them my way. I'd love to chat. You can reach out to me on the Laura Asks About Motherhood Facebook page or Instagram account. Please subscribe, leave a rating and review, and thanks for listening. Thank you.